Pride Month is coming to a close, so as a straight person, I asked a couple of friends what pride means to them. One told me, in my opinion, pride is the reminder that at the center of what is most precious to us is the will to protect it. Tonight, we're going to dive into two very different stories involving unsolved murders of gay men in an effort to shine some light on one of the true dangers of homophobia, dehumanization. This is a tale of two cities. This is a tale of two Kevins. These are the cases of Kevin Frett and Kevin Kluwer. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, welcome to the Lost Souls of America podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and joining us tonight is our beautiful producer, Amelia. Hi, Amelia. Hi, Jamie. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I am well, thank you. We have so much to talk about tonight. A lot has happened since the last time we recorded. Yeah. So I have two cases for you, and I know that you have a case on your heart, and I have a case on my heart, and we have to have to have to talk about some updates from one of our recent cases. Mm-hmm. And we have to tell everybody what tonight is. It's our last episode of season oh, one. Right. Yes, we haven't. <laughs> I, I keep forgetting. We haven't told them that we're taking a little break yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a little break. Nobody panic. A little baby break. Yeah. We're just going to take like a few weeks, a month off this summer mm-hmm. to enjoy summer. Have some fun. Yeah. And maybe just a couple weeks of not dwelling on death and murder for a minute, you know, just a little pause in the sunshine. That's all. A little summer vacay, a summer getaway. Yeah. Getaway. I mean, I'm not going anywhere. A getaway from gore. I'm not going anywhere either. My big summer vacation this year is going to a concert with Jamie and we're all staying in an Airbnb and that's all I have. Yeah. Yay. I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm really excited for that. And I don't know if I told you this, but that's like one of my favorite bands, like of all time. Like I know I like, I used to follow them around. I'm super excited. OAR is one of the bands in case anybody knows. And I think who's else, who else dispatch and G love and the special sauce. I I had never heard of them. I've heard dispatch. Yeah. I haven't heard of them. I love dispatch. I went to college for one year in Western mass. So dispatch was like huge out there. Cause that's where they're from. So I really love Dispatch. Cool. I'm also going to Acadia. I'm going camping in Acadia this summer because my I have a cousin that lives like right in the area. <laughs> Amelia's I sound have, room is falling, falling apart. apart. I thought I had a ghost. <laughs> I was looking at my Zoom camera and I like saw something behind me and I was like, what was that? And it was one of my <laughs> sound panels fell off of my wall. <laughs> If you heard me stumbling on my words, it was because I did not know what to do about this scene. I was like, do I just keep going or do I acknowledge the fact that the room is falling apart around her? falling on me. (laughs) There's a ghost. Anyway, you got a cousin by Acadia. I got a cousin by Acadia. My cousin lives on a commune. How about your cousin? Oh, my God. My cousin does not live on a commune, but that's cool. There you go. So so we're... Interesting. Um, but my cousin, what what my cousin does have that I don't know if your cousin has is a new puppy. That's really nice. I have no idea what my cousin has. So <laughs> my cousin also has a sailboat. We don't talk. <laughs> she definitely doesn't have one of those. And she literally lives like on the island that Acadia is on. So we're going camping um with her 
on her land this summer. And so that is one that is somewhere that I'm going away, but I don't know if it counts because I live in Maine, but it's still pretty far. I mean, Acadia is like four hours away from me. Oh, it's, it's wicked it's far. There. It's wicked far. Yeah. yeah. I'd say that counts. You going to Acadia is farther than me going to this concert. Which That's I, is, which is my summer vacation. So That's true. It is. That's true. You also have a baby to prepare for. I do. This is your last summer of freedom. You know what I was really thinking about? This is my last aside and then we can get to the episode is that every year my husband takes me on a whale watch for my birthday because Jamie can tell you I love whales and I love sea life and I love, I get really jazzed up whenever I think like a whale could be around. Yeah. So he always takes me on a whale watch and I got like kind of emotional when we were talking about it because I'm like, we're not going to be able to go on a whale watch next year because we're going to have a little baby and like you can't bring a little baby on like a five hour whale watch in the ocean. Maybe you could because he'll be, I mean, he'll be what, like nine months old next summer? Yeah. That's, that's right little. at the perfect age where he'd be a nightmare. <laughs> right. That's what I mean. It's right. Too like old enough to not just be like strapped to you. Uh-huh. Young to, yeah. 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 It's a problem. So this is going to be my last I mean, you, watch for a little while. You, you, you could maybe by nine months, you'll, you'd be willing to let someone babysit. <laughs> no, <laughs> knowing you, maybe not, but maybe, no. maybe we'll see. Okay, maybe we'll see. What if I just stand on the dock the whole straight f- five hours and like hold the baby for you and just stand there waving to you the whole time you're gone? Just, Mommy, <laughs> be right back. Mommy, be right back. <laughs> She'd be right back. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I meant for the whole Acadia conversation to actually be a better segue, <laughs> but then we talked about other stuff. Whoops, so it ruined sorry. It. But that's okay. That's okay. But I wanted to talk about Acadia because that has to do with the case that's on my heart. Ooh. So the reason I have a case on my heart this week, I know I don't normally, but the reason I have a case on my heart this week is because this poor woman was killed in Acadia over the weekend. Um, her name was Nicole Mokim. She was 35 and she was a scientific researcher. Oh my gosh, just kidding. She wasn't actually a scientific researcher, but she was at a scientific research center at Acadia Park. What she was is an organizer. She was an organizer, a youth worker. And in this particular instance, she was there helping to organize a black excellence retreat. And the news report is saying that she was hit by a BMW SUV. I guess it was like late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. And the police are on the hunt for that SUV and the license plate numbers, which I'll share with you in a, in a moment. She's from Portland. The crazy thing is that those SUV numbers link back to her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And yeah. no one is saying anything official about whether or not he was the one behind the wheel. But according to some of the articles I'm looking up, he has a history of domestic violence and has been arrested. He's got history of legal troubles outside of domestic violence and under the domestic violence umbrella. And so I don't know, that sounds really bad to me. Like perhaps he hit and killed her. It looks that way. It definitely looks that way. The whole thing is just really upsetting because from what I understand, she was like incredibly active in the community. She was 
a light to everybody. People describe her in, I know every time somebody dies, we were even joking about this the other day, like texting back and forth. Well, if I ever get murdered, here's what I want you to say in the episode about me. But for real though, it sounds like she really was that amazing person that everybody loved. Like a truly inspirational role model. And just like a great person for young women to look up to. And it's so tragic that that's how her life ended, it looks like. And I hope that if anything comes out of this, it's a wake up call to some young women that like, if you are in these kind of relationships, please run. If you're with someone who has this history over, done, don't get involved. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of us look at those situations and think it it takes a certain type of woman to end up in a domestic violence situation. And that's not the case at all. Mm -hmm. I'm sure most of her friends thought that she and most of the people that she associated with in life because of the things that she did for work and her career and how much she helped other people. People probably thought she totally had her shit together, that she was really strong, that she was a powerful woman who wouldn't take anything, you know, and and. Domestic violence doesn't work that way. Mm -mm. It doesn't work that way. Mm -mm. And oftentimes I think it's the people that appear the strongest and that want to help people the most that, that we have to watch out for and check in on. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. So the 2016 BMW X3 SUV had a main license plate 5614WM. And it's registered to 35 year old Raymond Lester of Portland. Uh, apparently the vehicle might have front end damage or undercarriage damage. It was a hit and run. And anyone who sees the vehicle is asked to call the police, the main state police, which I don't have that number handy, but I can get it. Hold on. 911. Not yeah, Call 911. <laughs> call 911. There you go. Yeah. I'll be interested to see where that goes. I mean, I haven't heard anything else about it, really. You know, people talked mostly, you know, about the incident. And then after that, everybody was really just kind of deep in their grief. It seemed like most of the articles were speaking about what an incredible woman she was. So I'm so sorry to the family and to the people that that loss has touched and affected. And it sounds like it was a really sad loss for my entire state. I'm sorry that happened. And I hope that we can get this closed and wrapped up. Amen. Do you want to share the story on your heart or should we talk about Little Miss Harmony next? So I don't know, Jamie. Um, either way, up to you. The cases are not related, but they're so eerily similar. So I, yeah. I don't know. Which way do you want to go? You go. Okay. Executive decision. <laughs> okay. So Tonight's case on my heart comes from Grays Harbor County in Washington State. This is the case of Oakley Carlson. And we got this case from a listener, Jennifer, who lives in the area of Washington. And she's been following this case really closely. So thank you so much, Jennifer, for reaching out to the show and letting us know about this because we hadn't heard about it over here on the East Coast. So Oakley was reported missing in December 2021. But the last time she was seen confirmed alive was 10 months prior to that. So, yes. So Oakley had been in the foster care system prior to this. So she came to live with Jamie Joan Hiles and her husband, Eric, in August 2017, when she was about nine months old. And so for the Hiles, Oakley's arrival was like this amazing 
like prayers answered moment because they were having fertility problems. And it was a former student of Jamie Joe who asked them to foster the child. Hmm. So it was like, like a divine intervention and they were really excited. They were hoping to be able to adopt, but the Washington department of children, youth and families has this goal of limiting the time a child in foster care can be there before finding them a permanent house. And they just want them to be like, you know, it to be a quick, safe process, but it's like it is all over the country. These things often don't go as they should. And it actually turned into two years that this little girl was living with this beautiful foster family. Hmm. So you're raising this kid from nine months old to three years old. You know what I mean? Like that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And then one day you get a phone call in November, 2019, that she's going to be reunited with her parents. (gasps) And like a couple weeks later on Thanksgiving, that's what happens. And so this child you've been raising is now gone and it's given to these people you don't know. Yeah. So what happens next isn't totally clear because DCYF won't comment on the case because they're citing federal privacy laws. But what is known is the last confirmed sighting of this little girl was in February, 2021. But she wasn't reported missing until December, 2021, because fire damaged the family's home and forced them to temporarily temporarily relocate. And a local school principal became extremely concerned after talking to one of her siblings. And so they called the police and were like, I need you to check in on this family. Something is not right. Oh my God. I'm covered in chills. Oh my God. What are the poor, oh, those poor babies. So on that little girl's birthday on Oakley's fifth birthday, December 6, 2021, police were sent out to do a welfare check. And that's when all these red flags are popping up because the parents were super uncooperative. (gasps) And we're actually hostile with the police, even for like the most basic of questions. Oh my God. That's not a good sign. No. So she was declared missing immediately and they got a search warrant and the family lives on the sprawling rural property outside of Oakville in Washington state. And so they did a search and it turned up some evidence. Sure. But they didn't find her body. They didn't find her. So similarly to Harmony Montgomery, for those of you who are familiar with the case, if not, Jamie's going to kind of let you in on some stuff in a minute. Oakley's parents, Andrew Carlson, who is a former police officer and her mother. Those are the biological parents that she ended up. Biological parents. Yes. Oh my God. And Jordan Bowers were briefly held in jail of suspicion of manslaughter, but formal charges could never be filed because they didn't have enough evidence. But Bowers, the mother, ended up being sentenced to 20 months in jail for withholding necessary medication from another one of her kids, while Andrew was sentenced to 12 months in prison for charges involving that same child. So now, kind of similar to Harmony's case, we have police just trying to get get anything on these people and they are because they're abusive people 
And everyone knows what happened. So now they're in jail anyway, not as much as they should be, because obviously, where is this five-year-old, right? So she's now been missing way more than a year, like a year and a half, but officially like seven months. And the reward money, thanks to the Hiles family and other people in the community, is now up to $20,000. So her former foster parents are at like Mm -hmm. the front lines of helping search for her and find her justice while her parents sit in freaking jail which just kind of shows you your biological parents like that, like biology has such little to do with that. If that makes sense, Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say, like, yeah, nature over nurture. Exactly. Yes. So anyway, the other way around, the other way around nurture over nature. You all know what we're trying to say here. So anyone with information is asked to contact Grays Harbor Sheriff's office. And that number is 360-533-8765. You can also send a tip to Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS or use P3 Tips app on your smartphone. I'm not familiar with P3 Tips app, but um, it's come up a lot on this. Can I just say you do a much better job at the case on your heart than I do? I was kind of like, oh, there was this lady. Let me tell you. I don't know. You That was very well thought out and organized. Thank you. Thanks, Jamie. I, but I, I think a- you do a nice job, too. Thanks. It's infuriating. It's really upsetting. Mm -hmm. And I can't even get over how similar it is to the Harmony story. That's wild. It's wild. It's really wild. When I was first, like, I called you about it. I was like, yeah, this it's like almost identical on totally other, totally not related other sides of the United States, but so similar. Heartbreaking. So we had some updates in the Harmony investigation this week, and I'm not going to like give everybody the full background because basically it's everything Amelia just said. Like that's the same story essentially as with Harmony, the background. I will say that we have a whole episode on it. It was a two, it was, we did two stories, that case, Opalika Jane Doe. I mean, two cases that episode. Oh, we haven't even, we haven't even done the story yet and I'm already tongue tied. This is a problem. Um, we did two cases that episode, one of them, which was Harmony Montgomery. And so currently where we're at is that her father and stepmother are in jail. I think her stepmother's in jail. She's been in and out of jail because whatever the charges they have her on aren't like charges to really keep her in there for a long time. So she kind of keeps getting released and they keep bringing her back in on other things, but her biological father and her stepmother are now in jail. Uh, She went missing in November of 2019. The last time anybody saw her was on Thanksgiving 2019, just like when this poor girl was reunited Mm -hmm. with her family, birth family. Now, initially, when we first told the story, the police had searched that home that they lived in when Harmony went missing. It was the grandmother's home and they had been evicted from it. And allegedly after that... Adam, who's Harmony's dad, and the family were homeless. And I guess at one point, maybe somebody saw Harmony with them. Um, But then after that, Harmony had never been seen anywhere since. And what happened was on June 14th of this month now, all this time later, um, I was like on my Facebook and I saw a pop-up that they were searching a house, that they were a different house, a different apartment, that they Mm -hmm. were searching it for evidence in the Harmony case. And I sat and watched this footage with no audio. It was literally nothing but just footage of an apartment and I just Mm -hmm. outside of it. And I just sat and watched it with my hand over my mouth and my jaw dropped for like 
the whole afternoon mm -hmm. waiting for some kind of announcement about what they had found. I'm not going to keep anybody in suspense. They really didn't. So far, we have not heard anything about what they found. But I will tell you this. The apartment turns out apparently Adam and Kayla did live elsewhere after they were evicted from that apartment in Manchester where Harmony was supposedly last seen. I will tell you that one of the things that was seized in this investigation, one of the things that came out of the house wrapped in biohazard tape and evidence tape was a refrigerator. Now there has been a lot of debate online about, and police are not like, they don't care what everybody on the internet thinks and they're not like telling anybody anything, but there's been some debate about the origins of the refrigerator. Some people have said that the CSI brought the fridge in in the first place, and maybe it's just to store biological evidence. Other people have said that the fridge was bought, brought in as a replacement fridge because it's an actual working apartment that somebody lives in now that they were searching. And so that the a new fridge had to be brought in to replace the one that they were seizing. Is someone living there? I thought it was... An abandoned apartment. Well, I think it was no. I I think it's. I think there are people because it's like a complex. I believe. Yeah. And there are people. Yeah, I think there are people big, that live. It's a big place. Yeah. I I think may or they need to bring in a new one for the next tenants or something. But that's what it it had to do with the tenants. But I think now, initially in the search, I think that we had thought that it was abandoned. I think that's what people were saying. But I've heard articles since then about the people who lived there letting reporters in to get a look at what police saw. So I'm confused on that too. Do you know what I mean? Like the police just aren't saying anything. So it's really hard yeah. to tell what's accurate and what's not. And then they had like teams going into the sewer, which everyone was like, why are they doing that? Like right. what could be down there? Yeah. And I heard uh, allegedly they took some stuff out of the closet with them, like, like pieces of the floor and stuff. And I will say people were, people at one point went and suited up in like full hazmat suits full yes which you don't just like do that right so, so they obviously uh, got something and they're just not telling us what they got but i mean eventually it's all going to come out yeah and apparently there's some drama going on in like the prosecution or the court system of it too because i guess adam's defense team has requested the body cam footage from that search and the prosecution has been, or it might have been from a previous search. I, I've heard mixed things, but apparently Adam's law team is requesting some body cam footage from that the police have. And the prosecution side is, I don't know, people are talking about him because they're supposed to turn it over. And apparently they haven't. Mm. But also to me, like, yeah, of course you want the body cam footage so you can see what they have. You want to know what they have on you. Yeah. You want to know what they found. Of course you do. But I also can understand why the defense has a right to know what was found. Oh, yeah. For, I mean, yeah, they do have a right. Yeah. And that's what the people are saying is like, well, the prosecution can't really just not turn it over. You know, mm -hmm. Ooh. the whole thing is just so crazy and messed up and upsetting. And I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop thinking about it. It's wild. I really thought we were going to get more not that like the police or the fbi or anyone like owes us more as just like yeah. the public but i, I, I waited on my phone all her. night 
Yeah. I, I would, everybody thought that. I think everybody thought yeah. they found her. Like I, I waited by my phone all night for a press conference. Cause I think, and they were the, there, they were there all night. They worked overnight. They worked overnight and we're still working into the next morning. Because I believe one of the neighbors, the rumor on the internet, the rumor on the internet was that one of the neighbors said they found a body under the floor. Yes. But that Which, was not confirmed by anybody. The police, I do believe that the police have said that they didn't find her. Yes, they did. They definitely said that. So I, that, I, I think we were all just really hoping it would be over. Yeah. And I'm sure if they found anyone, there would have been like charges we would all know about. Yeah, immediately. They're already in custody. The police are like foaming at the mouth to arrest these guys, right. you know, yeah. to charge them with this. So. You know, and I've heard some whisperings on the internet that maybe like Adam is a bigger pawn because he's got a long list of criminal activity, right? Which is yeah, like well, how disgusting. the hell he how the hell he got. I mean, he's shot people before. So how in he got Harmony. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, he also he's in jail right now for punching Harmony in the face. All right. So anyway, we have talked a lot. Maybe we should get to the actual story tonight. All right, here Yay. we go. But you know what? It's our final episode of the season. It's episode yeah. 30, which is a big 30. number. We've done it. I feel like we have a lot to celebrate. I'm super excited for us. I'm proud of us. And if we want to talk a little extra tonight, we can. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So earlier today, I was chatting with a couple of my LGBTQIA plus friends about these cases that we're going to cover. And since I'm straight, I asked what pride meant to them. And I mentioned it briefly in our opener, but I thought their quotes were lovely. So I just wanted to share the whole thing with you. The quote in our opener tonight is from my lifelong dear friend, Di Cerullo. Among a million well-deserved titles she can call herself, she is the author of the book, Ally Up, The Definitive Guide to Building More Inclusive, Innovative, and Productive Teams. She said, in my opinion, pride is the reminder that at the center of what is most precious to us is the will to protect it. I just loved that. My friend Renee is a Seacoast area artist that you can find at Make Unicorns Great Again on social media. And they said, to me, pride is a testament of how far the LGBTQIA community has come and how much progress we've made while simultaneously reminding us of how much work still has to be done. Pride Month started as a riot against police brutality at a small dive bar in New York City, where police took advantage of gendered laws to raid drinking establishments and arrest transgender and gender nonconforming individuals. To this day, there's still a lot of hatred, homophobia, transphobia that exists in this world. So being proud of who we are and celebrating pride is more important now than ever. I told them that I wish I had asked last week because that goes so perfectly with the conversations that we were having about how deeply, you know, misgendering affects crime among transgender victims. Yeah. And, and I couldn't help but notice they said, well, you always say, Amelia, we've come so far, but we have a long way to go. Yeah, we sure do. So thank you to friends like Renee and Di and you too, Amelia, who are willing to have deeper conversations with me about these things. I think it's important. Okay, Amelia, are you ready to hear all about the cases of Kevin Frett and Kevin Kluwer? Yeah, I think we should just dive right in. Okay. Before we tell you the top story tonight, we want to take you all the way to San Juan, Puerto Rico to hear about the unsolved murder of Latin trap singer Kevin Frett. Tonight, we have to bring you two stories, 
a tale of two Kevins, if you will, because we couldn't decide which one of them to cover for our final episode of Pride Month. If we look at both of these men, they both represent two very real and different symbols to the gay community. Kevin Fratt was loud and proud, gender bending, an icon and an advocate for gay rights. He craved the limelight and wanted the world to see him for all that he was, his sexual identity being a big part of that. Kevin Kluwer, on the other hand, represents the everyday man who was just living his life. He went to work, he hung out with friends, and he dated. He loved who he loved, and it was what it was, but it was not what his loved ones describe as a huge part of his personality. Both of these cases are unsolved, and in both of these cases, it's a very real possibility that this was a hate crime and that the men were targeted based on who they liked. All too often, people are quick to victim blame, especially when we're talking about underserved and underrepresented populations. But in these cases, the victims were as different as can be, and both still were brutally murdered. So on a side note, before we go any further, I just want to remind you that people are going to hate you no matter what you do. Others will decide they don't like you with no bias, no merit, and no reason before they even know anything about you. So please don't waste a single second of your life trying to please others. And instead, commit your life to being exactly who you want to be. I'm going to step off my high horse now. Well said, Jamie. Thank you. And now let me tell you a little bit about Kevin Fratt. Now, I actually really wanted to play some of his music for you, but I'm scared that we're going to get a slap on the wrist for copyright music. So what I will do, though, is I'll put the YouTube link on our website because you can do that. You can put YouTube videos. So I will pop one of his music videos onto our website so you can check him out. Kevin Fratt was a 24-year-old rising Latin trap star at the time of his unfortunate murder. By early 2019, he'd made a big name for himself, not just on Puerto Rico, but all over as the first openly gay artist in that genre. His manager, Eduardo Rodriguez, describes him as an artistic soul and a big-hearted dreamer. Kevin stood out in Urbano music because he loved to show off his queer pride. His biggest hits were a song called Soy Asi, which means I'm like this, and a part in Mike Duran's song Diferente, which means different. So more than just his lyrics, Kevin Frett looked the part too. He loved to dress in flashy, gender non-conforming ways, and he was extremely proud to be making people stop and say, wait a minute, our music doesn't have to be synonymous with, you know, the aggressive, violent male stereotype. One article says that Kevin was, quote, upending the genre's paradigm of macho behavior and misogyny. And he was very proud to play that role, despite the fact that it made him a huge target for harassment and threats. In 2018, other artists made diss tracks against Kevin, and though they've since been taken down and apologies have been issued, the tracks were full of homophobic slurs and unnecessary rumors. There was backlash on both ends for this incident from fans and from both artists, and people felt very emboldened, I guess, to share their hatred for Kevin behind their phone screens. At approximately 5.30 in the morning on January 10th of 2019, Kevin was riding his Yamaha motorcycle downtown in the Santorce neighborhood of San Juan when he was shot two times, 
once in the hip and once in the head, killing him instantly. Witnesses report seeing another man on a motorcycle fleeing the scene. The previous threats and homophobia were not lost on Kevin's fans, but most of all, his own mother. We're choosing not to name any names in this particular story tonight, but Kevin's mom, Hilda Rodriguez, believes fervently that another Latin trap star and his manager consorted to have Kevin killed because his openly gay persona posed a threat, alleging that the two had a secret love affair. Now, there are other rumors. In, I know. I know. There are other rumors in the case, though, that this plot actually was more like a lot of extortion, even on Kevin's end, based on a sex tape of the other singer. According to the Criminal Investigation Bureau of San Juan, there are two persons of interest in the case. But according to Billboard magazine, and to be clear, I'm talking about what the police have to say versus what Billboard music magazine has to say. The artist and the manager who Fret's mother accuses are not the two people that the police have said are persons of interest. I don't know how they know that. I don't know how they have that on their authority when the police aren't talking about it. But according to Billboard, that's what they say. The artist himself says that out of respect for Kevin's family, he has no comment at all on this crime. And he has gone on to do other high profile work with big celebrities. But Kevin Fretz's mom still holds tightly to her theory. Though many people believe that Kevin Fretz's death was a targeted hate crime in the form of an assassination, others are quick to point out the escalating violence in Puerto Rico in general, saying that perhaps it was maybe random violence or mistaken identity. In two weeks, Oops, sorry. In the two weeks prior to Fred's death alone, there were 23 other homicides on the island. And the FBI had declared the city in a crisis of violence just the day before this shooting. Gang affiliations, drug cartels, lots of shootings. It just wasn't the shocking newsworthy story you might expect. And it actually seems like Kevin's fame may be the only reason he got any coverage at all. Unfortunately, I don't really know where the case stands today in 2022 other than, quote, unsolved, because most of the articles you can find about Kevin Frett's story are from the weeks immediately following his murder, many of which were written in Spanish far beyond my abilities. And then from there, he just becomes a brief mention in English written articles about the general concept of unsolved crime an icon for the Latin gay community, reduced to just a bullet point. Any thoughts you want to share on this story, Amelia, before I move on to tell you about Kevin Kluwer? No, I just think it's really sad. Um, as soon as you said like Latin trap music, I was like, whoa, that is not what I picture a flamboyantly gay man doing. Right. At all. Um, Super so misogynistic. Oh, disgustingly, but good for him for like putting himself out there and not caring and like being like, whatever, this is what I want to do. And um, it's really sad he's gone. Yeah. And I'm going to put the link for the Soya C video on our website because I think it's worth a listen and to check him out. And 
honestly, it's better than just playing the song for you here because you get to see what he looks like because he was fabulous. Okay. So let's jump now to, let's go back a little bit in time. We're going to go back to 2004 when 31-year-old Kevin Kluwer lived in a Lakeview apartment with a roommate in the Boys Town area of Chicago. He had a great job at a company called Flextronics, which he loved, and he was building a really great life for himself, full of promise and potential. Kevin's older brother, Ron, describes him as kind, trusting, and with a bold personality. He says Kevin was lovable, caring, and could fit in with a variety of different people. Kevin especially loved being an uncle, having grown up in a really loving and close-knit family who fully supported him. On Tuesday, March 23rd, 2004, at around 9.30 p.m., Kevin and a friend of his, John Syracusa, left his Lakeview apartment to head downtown for a night at the bars. Kevin had a roommate, too, who they invited, but he was unable to attend because he had to be at work by, like, 6.30 the next morning, super early. So the other guys went, and their plan was just to hang out in the neighborhood of the Halstead and Roscoe streets in a part of Chicago known as Boys Town, where they lived. The pair spent the night in three taverns, Sidetracks, Roscoe's, and Little Jim's. They met up with some other friends, and they had a lot of fun just drinking and dancing, you know, a normal night out. At Roscoe's, Kevin met a man who introduced himself as Fernando, and the two really seemed to be hitting it off, so Fernando joined in on the group's festivities. Fernando was Hispanic with what some have called a Spanish accent. He said that he was 28 and he was pretty attractive and the two left little gyms together arm in arm heading toward Kevin's apartment around 3.15 a.m. By the next morning when no one had seen or heard from him, Kevin's boss Pam called his emergency contact, his father Jim. Kevin hadn't shown up for work that day and they hadn't been able to get a hold of him and since this behavior was so out of character, they felt it might be good to just go check up on him. And Jim agreed that this was really strange for his son, so he made his way over to Kevin's house for a quick check on his boy. Kevin's dad arrived to his apartment to find that his car was still parked there. At around 6 p.m., Jim makes his way into the back bedroom to find his youngest son's lifeless body. He was naked and had a robe draped over him to cover him. Blood was splattered on the sheets and the walls. It was everywhere and it was brutal. Kevin's poor father pushed past his fear and his grief to call 911, but it was too late to save the young man. The autopsy revealed that Kevin had been stabbed 42 times. And if that fact was not brutal enough, we learned that all of the stab wounds were to his back. Oh my God. Investigators immediately believe this means that the attacker must have been someone he trusted intimately as he was naked and vulnerable with his back turned. Furthermore, and this is something we've spoken about recently here, Amelia. Investigators were taken back by the overkill required to stab someone more than 40 times, likely long after the fatal blow had been delivered. Well, that's just it. You don't just kill someone by stabbing them 42 times if it's not personal. Yeah. Like, that's very intimate. 
I mean, think about how long that takes. And I think people don't understand, this is kind of graphic, but I think people don't understand the effort it takes to stab a person too. That's what like, I mean. Like, like, it's a lot. Like, imagine if you had like the Thanksgiving ham and we're like, like, it's, it's not, you it's, it's, it, it's yeah. effort to, st- ooh, I gross myself out. That's awful. Kevin's roommate told investigators that he had heard multiple voices in the apartment that night, but that he was trying to sleep, you know, so he didn't really pay much attention to the clock or who the guest was or any of that. He says, though, he did notice that around 4 a.m. he heard a door close. And other than that, he noticed nothing but that closed door when he left the next morning for work. Police interviewed all of Kevin's friends from the night before, and a sketch of Fernando was quickly created for distribution. Investigators say they've been as thorough as they could and still have not been able to find the man called Fernando, despite how thoroughly the eyewitness sketch was distributed. And we're going to put it on our website, of course. Kevin's parents themselves personally hung thousands of flyers around Chicago, and it was distributed widely in the media. Kevin's family has done everything they could for years to keep Kevin's name and photo familiar to the public. And for years, it brought them nothing but heartbreak. Then in January of 2021, investigators say there was a break leading them to determine the identity of the suspect. For more than a year, investigators have tightly held this bit of information, trying to put together the pieces until just last month when they finally put out a call for help from the public. So this is where all of you come in and why we're sharing this story tonight. Investigators say that though they believe they have the right suspect in mind, in order for the murder of Kevin Kluwer to be prosecuted by the Cook County State's Attorney's Office, new evidence and witness reports are needed. Chicago Police Homicide Lieutenant William Svilar is asking for the people of the community to help put a close on this case because they believe there are people in Chicago and beyond who have valuable information that could assist this homicide investigation. Here is the information that they are sharing with us now about the suspect in the murder of Kevin Kluwer from 2014. So listen carefully. Investigators believe the suspect was not actually named Fernando and most likely only used that name as a ruse when he met Kevin that night. The suspect is of Puerto Rican descent and he fled to Puerto Rico after the murder, though he has returned back and forth to Chicago sometimes. This suspect was a member of the gay community in Chicago at the time, 2004. He was known for theft and for prostitution. They believe that the suspect has bragged to his friends about luring intoxicated men back to their apartments for sex and then robbing them. They believe that aside from the murder, this is an established pattern of behavior, but it's also believed that people who know him would be absolutely shocked to find that he was responsible for stabbing Kevin Kluwer more than 40 times. That it doesn't fit his outward display of his appearance or his personality at all. Authorities are begging for any piece of information, no matter how big or small, because they say it could be the key to solving this case. 
Authorities are begging for any piece of information, no matter how big or small, because they say it could be the key to solving this case. Please call the Chicago Police Department if this sounds like anyone you know, even if you're not sure. And I'll share that number again in a little bit. Over the 18 years since Kevin was murdered, both of his parents have passed away from heavy, sad illnesses, something his family feels was hugely impacted by their unimaginable grief. I mean, how can you take care of your health when you don't even know what happened to your son, you know? Yeah, it's awful. Kevin's brother and nieces now carry the torch for the Kluwer family, desperately seeking justice for their fun uncle Kevin, who would have celebrated his 50th birthday this year. If you have any information at all, please call the anonymous tip line at 833-408-0060. Tips leading to homicide charges can have up to a $15,000 reward. You can also leave an anonymous tip at cpdtip.com. Amelia, do you have any final thoughts for us tonight? Yeah, just don't trust anyone ever. Like they're even saying like this guy doesn't seem like the type of guy who would stab someone 40 times. You never know who's going to stab you. Just don't trust anyone. (laughs) I know. Honestly, Amelia, this podcast has made me paranoid. And I joke about it like with all my friends now, but it's, it's true. Nope. Sorry. Can't trust anybody. Nope. Sorry. I don't, I don't let my kids out of my sight for a second. I was just going to say that, like, you're talking about like my future child being babysat i'm like no yeah right no one's going <laughs> no nope, never no. no one no okay our call to action for you tonight okay first of all i did i asked my friends that shared their beautiful thoughts with us if they had any agencies that they wanted us to share and ask that you donate either your time or money to and um they said the trevor project which we've already mentioned here on the show but i'm going to give you the number again one more time or you know what not even the number because i don't think that's what's most important i would encourage you actually to go to their website and to check out all the different ways that you can get involved because there's a bunch right amelia yeah there's a ton um there's ways you can be involved as a volunteer working for them. If you are an LGBTQA plus person, there are ways for you to get help beyond just their hotline. So everyone go and there's ways to donate money to help this. If you don't have time, but you still want to help money talks, you can always just go and give them a donation right there on their website. That's right. And that's just trevorproject.org. So definitely go check that out. And thank you again to my friends for having those conversations with me. Listen, if you happen to have any information in either of these cases, certainly come forward and we will put those numbers on our show notes and on our website. But if you don't know any information about these cases, like probably most of our listeners, right? Probably most of you don't know directly with evidence what happened to these two Kevins. So what you can do to help out is share. I know it sounds like such a dumb thing, but it really, really does help. It's so simple that it seems wasteful, but I can actually think of cases. I could list cases for you today that were solved because people shared articles and the right person saw it at the right time. The families of these people want eyes on these stories. So if you have listened to our episodes, please just honor the families, honor these people, do what needs to be done. And it doesn't have to be our post. Go directly to the families pages, go directly to the FBI pages, just share. Okay. Sharing is caring. 
for our closer for you tonight as we say goodbye i also just want to say a little extra thank you all so much for being here for 30 episodes a whole season yay thanks everybody we love you and we'll see you in a few weeks hit us up on social media if you have any cases on your heart that you'd like to have us take a look at and maybe share as a case on our heart or if you are somebody that has connection to an unsolved case and would hope that we would cover that case we have a form right there in our show notes so check that out too happy summer enjoy yourselves be good to each other you can find shareable content on our social media at lost souls of america and our website lostsoulsofamerica.com please share often and help spread awareness for their cases these are the stories of the voiceless amelia you want to say this one with me these are the lost souls of america America.